Well, good morning. It is a blessing to be with you in this beautiful Lord's Day morning, and it's a blessing to share the council message with you all this morning. When you think of a council message, uh, I think of, uh, my mind goes to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, where it tells us how communion is a very serious thing, participating in communion. And you need not turn here, but a few verses from this chapter, it says, uh, concerning communion, it says, but let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. And then it tells us how serious it is if we drink unworthily. It says, for he that eateth and drinketh unworthily, eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. And for this cause, many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. Verse 31, for if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord that we should not be condemned with the world. And so when I think of uh, uh, communion time and, and the council service we always have prior to communion, I think of, of when, you ha when you have an occupation, you're working somewhere, and especially in larger companies, every so often the, they call you into the office for uh, evaluation. How are you doing? and uh, give you an evaluation of, uh, of how they perceive your fulfilling your role in, in their company. And so council time is a time of, uh, you're, we're not, you're not called into the office, but it's a time for a self-evaluation. Stop, let's just all stop together as a body of Christ and think about where we're at spiritually and make sure that we are where uh, we're in a good place and we're where God would have us to be. And it's, it's a self-evaluation, so it's kind of like, you know, this time of the year, there's different places you can stop along the road and buy produce and they, uh, the owners aren't there, but they have a box there, you know, put your, here's what it costs, put your money in here. And so it's the, it's the they, they trust their customers. And so God is entrusting us with having an honest self-evaluation of ourselves and in preparation for communion. And I'm going to, the message I'm gonna share this morning is, is one that should help us to uh, think about where we're at spiritually. And if you're here this morning and, and you are uh, not a Christian, it should give you a, an, an idea of what, it, what is necessary to be a Christian and, and to be in a good place with God and being in a place like that, that you're worthy of, of sharing with the body of Christ in communion. I invite your attention to Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18. I've entitled the message, Two Parables, A Profound Truth, and A Sad Story. And in this chapter we have, in the beginning of the chapter, we have the parable of the unrighteous judge, and then we have the parable of the Pharisee and the publican, and then we have, for the profound truth, we have the Jesus giving the account of the little children in the kingdom of heaven. And then lastly, uh, for the sad story, we have the story of the rich young ruler. And I want to focus primarily on the profound truth using points from the parables and the story, the very sad story, to further illuminate the profound truth that we want to look at this morning. Now, first of all, let's look at the profound truth which we find here in the middle of the chapter in verse 15. It says, And they brought him, brought unto him also infants that he would touch them, but when his disciples saw it, they rebuked them. 
But Jesus called them unto him and said, Suffer little children to come unto me, and forbid them not, for of such is the kingdom of God. Verily I say unto you, Whosoever shall not receive the kingdom of God as a little child shall in no wise enter therein. Now, I'm using the term a profound truth for this, this story that, or this teaching that Jesus has here. The word profound, some synonyms would be deep, thoughtful, reflective, or weighty. Do any of us totally understand this, what Jesus is teaching here? It's in the other gospels as well. In Mark, it says, and he took them up in his arms and put his hands upon them and blessed them. So I can imagine Jesus taking this infant or this little toddler, holding him up to face level maybe and, and talking to him like we do to little children, having his hands on them and blessing them. Well, there's two parts to this profound teaching. And the first part we find in, in verse 16, in the end of the verse where he says, uh, forbid them not, for of such is the kingdom of God. What Jesus is teaching us here and I believe this part of Jesus' teaching is, is pretty easy to grasp. He's teaching us that innocent children, children that are, uh, you take miscarriages, you take abortions, young children are in the kingdom of God. They are of the kingdom of God. He makes that very clear. And this, this has been comforting to so many parents over the years. This very words of Jesus, very comforting. Of such are the kingdom of God. This is the kingdom of God, young children. But then it's the next part of his teaching that we come to in verse 17, where he says, Verily I say unto you, whosoever, now this includes everybody, this is not children, this is everybody, whosoever shall not receive the kingdom of God as a little child, how do you do that? How, how, do we re, how do we as adults receive the kingdom of God as a little child? And then talk about a profound truth. He says, uh, if we don't receive the kingdom of God as a little child, we shall in no wise enter therein. And you could use the word impossible. Impossible to get into the kingdom of God unless we do it as a little child. Only way, no other way, no other possibility. There's one word that encapsulates this profound truth in, in my mind. And it, it, we, need to, we need to understand this word. We need to understand what, it, what Jesus is teaching here. First of all, let's go back to the infants that Jesus is holding in his hands. Let's go back to the, these little children. When, uh, when I observe, and when I, it's a long, many years ago, uh, my oldest child just turned 42, so it's been a while since we had infants in our house. But I remember holding them, and now sometimes I get to hold grandchildren. And when, when I hold a, a newborn child, and first, maybe up to a year old, or even a toddler, you hold some of these little children that Jesus is referring to here. And if you look the word up in Greek where he's talking, 
in, uh, in verse 16 where he's talking about little children. And, and also in verse 15, he uses the word infants. The words in Greek are referring to very young children. We're not talking about uh, teenagers or, or uh, adolescents. We're talking about young, very young children. When, uh, when, when I hold a little child like that in my arms, and when they're content and happy, of course, and they look at me, and we're always talking to them and, and trying to get a reaction out of them or something. But they look into the face of their parents or a trusted individual. There's one word that comes, that comes to my mind, and it is the word innocence. They are innocent. They look into their parents' eyes. They, they, don't, they don't avoid eye contact. They don't look away. No, they look right into your eyes, and they are innocent totally innocent and that's what makes it so amazing but there's uh, along with the word innocence there's another word that I believe plays into it and uh, the word innocence means blameless guiltless but there's another word that we need to that we need to think about and it is the word trusting they totally trust a, a young infant totally trust their parents 100 percent they can't survive without them and and uh they they just totally trust and so they can look right into your eyes and they are innocent they are trusting totally trusting and they are totally innocent and that that's exactly what we as adults must get a hold of if we're going to enter the kingdom of god we must be totally trusting and totally innocent. Every one of us at either either this morning we were we are totally innocent or at a time we were totally innocent. Every one of us we were there. And the Bible tells us if we're not innocent anymore, it tells us exactly how to become innocent again so that we can enter into the kingdom as a little child there is a way there are not here jesus could have said there's there's five ways he didn't he said unless unless you become as a little child you shall it's impossible for you to enter into the kingdom of god here in just these few short sentences jesus makes it clear there is one way only one way totally dependent and hiding nothing so you know there's there's a relationship between trusting or you could use the word dependency i like the word dependency as well dependency and hiding nothing is what gives a person innocence and do you know do you know what that is do you know what's the opposite of that the opposite of that is having your own agenda. If we are totally trusting in someone else or in God, total trust, and we're hiding nothing, we don't have our own agenda. We, have, we, we want to do, we, we're trusting God to lead us, guide us, and direct us. We want his agenda for our lives. The, the flip side of that is if I have my own agenda, 
that I'm not totally trusting him. And if I'm not totally trusting him, I'm also hiding things. And I, I want to I wanna do my own thing. So the relationship that a young, innocent child has with their parents is what we need to duplicate or we need to figure out how to, how to have a relationship like that with God because it's the only way we can enter into the kingdom. When you think about a young child and, and uh, being totally dependent on their parents, totally trusting, having that innocence, being able to look into their parents' eyes, what's, what's, that's so amazing, but it's also very sad because when they become awakened to their own sin nature and accountable before God, they lose it. It's lost. That innocence, that innocence they had as a young child is lost. And now they are accountable to God. So how does one become innocent again? I want to think about these two parables and I want to think about the sad story. And then we're going to return to that question again, the end of the message. How does one become innocent again? In, verse, uh, in chapter 18, starting at verse 1 through verse 8, I want to read the parable of the unrighteous judge. We're in Luke 18 uh, and the first verse says, And he spake a parable unto them to this end, that men ought always to pray and not to faint, saying, There was in a city a judge which feared not God, neither regarded man, and there was a widow in that city, and she came unto him, saying, Avenge me of mine adversary. And he would not for a while, but afterward he said within himself, Though I fear not God, nor regard man, yet because this widow troubleth me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. And the Lord said, Hear what the unjust judge saith, and shall not God avenge his own elect, which cry day and night unto him, Though he bear long with them, I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth. Most times when we hear this parable taught, and it certainly applies and it is a good way to, to look at this parable, is that Jesus is teaching us to be persistent in prayer. And we can, we can apply it, makes a very good application to this, to this parable. I, look through it, I want to look through it through a little bit of a different lens this morning. I want to look through it through the lens of this helpless, uh, very vulnerable person. The scripture says she was a widow and she had this powerful adversary. We don't know all the details, but she had someone who was taking advantage of her. And she was, it was driving her crazy. She didn't like it. She couldn't stand it. And she, was, uh, she wanted to be delivered from it. And to me, we could, we could look at this as this being a picture of fallen mankind past the innocent stage in the clutches of Satan. When somebody is, comes to the age of accountability, they, we are, our eyes are uh, awakened to the fact that we are in the clutches of Satan. 2 Timothy 2.26 says that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil who are taken captive by him at his will. And just a sad picture of, of humanity in the clutches of Satan. And Satan is an adversary like no other. And so very similar to what this widow was dealing with here. And this widow, she looked around. She realized she had an adversary. And she looked around and she looked to this unjust judge 
but she she made a uh, she made a very uh, intelligent uh, decision in her life, and that was that this unjust judge is the person who has the authority to deliver me from my adversary. He can do it. He's the one that can deliver me from my adversary. And she put all of her faith and confidence in him, saying, he can deliver me. And she went to this unjust judge, and she didn't just go once, she didn't just go twice, she kept going back, and she kept saying, look, deliver me from my adversary. And I, I doubt very much, that the scripture doesn't tell us, but I doubt very much that she beat around the bush. I doubt very much that she was unclear in her what she wanted. No, I can see her walking up to this judge, looking him right in the eye and saying, I have this adversary, this is who it is, this is what he's doing to me, and I can't stand it anymore, and you have the power to deliver me from him, and I'm asking you, I'm pleading with you to deliver me from my adversary. And the judge brushes her off seemingly, according to this parable, a time or two, and she would not give up and finally, the judge says, you know what? I'm getting tired of this lady pesting me. And he did what he could do, and he delivered her from her adversary. And Jesus says, now, if this unjust judge did that, can you imagine how I would respond to someone who comes to me asking to be delivered? I'm telling you, how does he say in the end of this parable uh, that I would do it speedily, I believe he uses the word here. I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, will he find faith on the earth. So Jesus says, I will take care of this situation very quickly. I won't mess around like this unjust judge messed around. This widow cried out persistently like a hurting, hungry child. Deliver me. I want to be delivered. She wanted deliverance. Nothing else was good enough. She was sick of her adversary. She had another option. Do you know what her other, you know what her other option was? This lady had another option. She could have said, you know what? I'll just put up with them. I'll put up with this adversary. I mean, it makes my life miserable. It's, it's, it's not a good situation, but you know what? Life is short. I'll just put up with this guy. I'll just tolerate it. She could have done that, but she didn't. She decided, I want to be delivered. You know, there's people that come to the aid. They're accountable before God. They realize that they have an adversary. They realize that Satan is controlling them. They're into sin. They can't get free from it. They keep going from this sin to that sin. They keep doing awful things, and they try to do better, and they can't. But they think, well, you know what? I'll just put up with it. This is life, I guess. This lady wasn't good enough for her. She said, no, no. I have an adversary. I know who it is, and I want to be delivered. I know the one person that can deliver me, and I'm going to go. And I'm going to demand of him that he delivers me, putting all my faith and trust in him to deliver me. You know, in Luke 13, 24, it says, Strive to enter in at the straight gate, for many, I say unto you, will seek to enter in and shall not be able. 
this verse applies to what I'm talking about this morning because uh, sometimes we hear today about seekers. Uh, and there are seekers, but what Jesus is looking for is strivers. He's looking for people that, that desperately want into the kingdom of heaven. And they won't take no for an answer. Those are the kind of people that truly enter into the kingdom of heaven. It's like when you're playing, playing uh, baseball and sometimes you'll see a, you know, an outfield fly and you're watching and the outfielder runs and he almost gets to the ball and it drops and you think, oh, he, why did he, he could have got it. If he would have just put a little into it, he could have got it. And the next time you'll see this incredible catch and there's no doubt in your mind that it took everything he had and he, he did it. That's what Jesus is looking for. He's looking for people that put everything into it and go to, go to Jesus and, and uh, name their adversary and, and ask of him to deliver them. He's looking for people that are striving. You know, uh, the truth is that no one's going no to enter into the kingdom of heaven by accident. It's not happening. Some of you don't re, uh, may not remember this. I don't even know for sure how many years ago it is, but I, I have lived most of my, all my life in the Schaeferstown area, and they built a bypass around Schaeferstown, Route 501, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, something like that. It's been a while. But for a, it took them a, a year or two to build the bypass, and during that time, you had to come into town to the light and turn up to the next light and turn. You had to go through town on 501. And I did that all my life. And they're making this bypass, so it's going to be, when you get to Schaeferstown, boom, you're going to Brookerville, you know, don't have to drive through town. This is going to be an amazing thing. So uh, watching, watching this thing uh, progress, and, and it's, it's going to be done soon. And after a while, I see in the news, it's going, they're going to open it. One, one evening, it's, this is it. They're opening the bypass tonight. And I'm like, wow, that's neat. And... Uh, I can't wait to go try this thing out. Well, the next morning, uh, one of the uh, young lady came up to our house from the effort area. And when she, uh, she, Emily pulls into our driveway and we're chatting with Emily. And I said to, said to Emily, I said, so is the bypass open? It's supposed to open last night. And she looks at me and she says, bypass? And she, she come to our place a lot so she traveled through town a lot and and she had to know maybe that they're building a bypass but I don't know and she's like bypass she's oh, I don't know but I yeah so, when I got to that red light I wondered how did I get here so she went over the whole new bypass didn't realize it comes to the light there at the at the gas station is like how did I get here you know that's not going to happen people aren't going to people aren't going to uh enter into heaven and say, boy, how'd this happen? How'd I get here? No, it's not happening. People that are in heaven are people that strove to get to heaven. Next, uh, just briefly, let's look at the parable of the Pharisee and the public in which we find in verse 9 through 14. And he spake this parable unto, unto certain which trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Two men went up to the temple to pray, the one a Pharisee and the other a public. And the Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, idolaters, even as this publican. I fast twice in the week, I give tithes of all that I possess, 
And the publican standing afar off would not lift up so much of his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you this, man went down to his house justified rather than the other, for every one that exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. Just a few quick points from this parable. And the one is that if you trust in yourself, you will despise others. Trust in yourself, you're going to despise others. One can even go to church and they can pray and they can be trusting in themselves as this Pharisee was. In this Pharisee's short prayer, he used the word I five times. Short prayer, five times. I, 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 I. And then, of all things, he told God how good he was. God who knows him to the very core, knows everything about him, he decided he had to tell God how good he is. So it's all about himself, all about explaining to God how good he is. That is so opposite of young children who will play with anyone. They don't despise others. They don't tell you how good they are. They don't think highly of themselves or lowly of others. One of the questions we have to ask ourselves this morning is, am I trusting in myself and my good works, which are like filthy rags with God, or am I trusting in God? A telltale indicator and a sign of where we're at in this area is, what do I think of others? What do I think of others? If we think highly of ourselves and our goodness, we will think lowly of others. Just goes hand in hand, and this parable just brings that out. Attending church and praying to God is important, but the content of our speech and prayers reveal the true me. And something I often think of, and it, it's uh, out of the abundance of our heart, the mouth speaketh. And it's, it's, uh, it's generally, and we all, we all do, and we all need to at times talk about ourselves. I'm not, not, there's nothing wrong with that. But sometimes, it, uh, maybe you're not like me, but sometimes I talk, talk with people, and 90% of the conversation is about them. I, 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 I. And it just is an indicator of where a person is spiritually. When we're hung up on ourselves, we think little of others, and we talk about ourselves, and that is not a good place to be spiritually. And the parable of the Pharisee and the publican, I believe, bring that out in a real vivid way. Now, let's go on lastly to this sad story that we find in verses 18 through 25. And a certain ruler asked him, saying, Good master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said unto him, Why callest thou me good? None is good, save one, that is God. Thou knowest the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not kill. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor thy father and thy mother. And he said, All these have I kept from my youth up. Now when Jesus heard these things, he said unto him, Yet lackest thou one thing. Sell all that thou hast, distribute to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven. Come, follow me. And when he heard this, he was very sorrowful, for he was very rich. 
And when Jesus saw that he was very sorrowful, he said, How hardly shall they that have riches enter into the kingdom of God? For it is easier for a camel to go through the needle's eye than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. This young, rich ruler was a lover of money. He was very wealthy. He had a prestigious position. It calls him a ruler. He was probably in the, in the political uh, time, had some important position and was a ruler over other people. And he was, uh, was that vain that he, was, that he told the Lord Jesus that, or, yeah, that, that he kept that he kept all these commandments from his youth. Like, I, I didn't break a one of these. And we all know that that's impossible. He surely broke one of those. He may have tried very hard, but we know that uh, very, very unlikely that he didn't break any of those commandments, that he would have never, ever dishonored his mother and his father, for example. But he, So this young man was, was very, very vain and was could not... Uh, could not admit wrong to, to the Lord. Here he comes asking, how do I obtain eternal life? And Jesus points some things out. And he says, oh, no, no, not me. Could not admit wrong. Young, innocent children are very quick to admit wrong and to own up to, to what they've done wrong. And the other thing that young, innocent children, thinking, comparing them to this rich, young ruler, they have no, money has no control over a young, innocent child. Absolutely none. You can, you can go up to a one-year-old and have a $100 bill in one hand and a nickel in the other, a dime, and say, you know, which one do you want? And they're like, it really matter to me. You know, give me the dime. I'm good with that. They, no concept. No, there's just no, nothing, nothing about it that really means anything to them. And so totally opposite of this rich young ruler that money, uh, money had this rich young ruler in its grip, and 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 his so his possessions were very very important to him. Luke sixteen thirteen says, "No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. Ye cannot serve God and Mammon. Totally impossible." We cannot gain eternal life while clutching onto our goodness or while clutching onto our material possessions. What was this rich young ruler? What was his primary problem? What, was, what really was his problem? When a, when a young child is distressed, they know exactly where they need to go to for help. They go to their parents. This rich young ruler, he had a problem. He knew there was something attractive about obtaining eternal life. And he went to the right person. He went to Jesus and he said, how do I do it? How do I do this? He was at the right place. And Jesus gave him exactly what he needed to hear. Told him exactly what he needed to gain eternal life. And this rich young ruler makes it such a sad story. It says he went away sad. He could not. He did not have it within himself to give up his money, his power, 
his position that he had, it's like, can't do it. Just can't do it. Can't lay it down. It had him, it had him in his grip. And today I think sometimes we have such a vivid picture when you talk about power. Today in the political system, uh, and I'm sure this is true all over the world, but especially in the United States of America right now where we're familiar, there are some people that are very, very, el they're not just elderly, they are almost, you could almost call them ancient, and they, they refuse to give up their power. And they're not only uh, having trouble physically, but they're also having trouble mentally, and it's like unthinkable to lay down their position and retire. It's like, no, hold on to my power. And here, this is opposite of this, this guy's young, this young ruler, he's, he's or, yeah, this rich young ruler, he's young, but he says, no, I cannot, I cannot lay this down. I cannot lay my money, my possessions, and my power down to gain the kingdom of heaven. And you know what? His life could have been required of him that night or the next week. And so he has no idea. His life is in the hands of God. He has no idea how long he has to live. But he says, you know what? My money, my position that I have, my power that I have, I would rather have that for another two days or two weeks and bypass the kingdom of heaven than to gain the kingdom of heaven and lay all that stuff down and all of those things that he that god is that jesus is asking him to lay down are things that mean nothing to a child to a young innocent child they mean nothing and jesus says unless you become like a young innocent child you will never gain the kingdom of heaven he says in fact it's impossible See, this, this rich young ruler, he had an agenda, and he said to Jesus, you are not interfering with my agenda. No, not happening. And Jesus says, well, then the kingdom of heaven's not for you. And he went away sad, holding on to his stuff. So how does one become innocent again? How does one become like a young child that can gaze into their parents' face with dependency, hiding nothing? You know one of the really neat things about church? You know, you go out into the world and, you, and we meet people that are not trustworthy. Sometimes uh, in, in the business world, there's people that I know I can't trust. I know they lie to me. And so you, you, you're kind of, you're, you're, you know, that's just how it is out there. But in the church, we can look each other in the eye. We can trust each other because we're hiding nothing. Nothing to hide. If a person can't look you in the eye, there's a problem. Something's wrong. And so when we become innocent again, when we're, set, when we're set free by the blood of Jesus, which we'll look at shortly, when that happens, it can happen only one way, and it's by totally trusting in the Lord Jesus. Totally trusting. 
like a young child trusts their parents. And when we do, the only way that we can do that, we cannot trust God and hold on to our money, power, and position, or whatever we might have. No, if we're holding on to anything, we're trusting ourselves. We're trusting our stuff. So we can't have it both ways. When we trust God, everything needs to be, we need to lay everything down. I'm trusting you. And when we do that, and we find forgiveness from God, then we become innocent again, and we can gaze into the eyes of God, hiding nothing. And let's turn to John chapter 3, or actually, no, 1 John. Let's go to 1 John chapter 1. In John 3, in Jesus' response to Nicodemus, he says, except a man be born again. See how they fit together? The, thinking about this profound truth about a, an, a child, an innocent child. And Jesus says to Nicodemus, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of heaven. Except a man be born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. And so it requires a spiritual birth, not a physical birth. A spiritual birth is if one is going to be spiritual. How can one be born of the spirit? How can I become as an innocent child again? We're in 1 John and in the first chapter, in verse 6 says, If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. And there in that short verse is the beauty of salvation. There it is. If we walk in the light, if we go to God persistently and say, I have an adversary. I'm admitting to my sin. I have a serious problem. And we look God in the eye and we confess all of our sin. And we put our total trust and faith in him. Believing that he can deliver us. Right like that widow lady went to the unjust judge and said, deliver me. I know you can do it. And he did it. Jesus also will deliver anybody, regardless of age, regardless of uh, which country we live in, what part of the world we come from. He will deliver anybody that comes to him admitting to our sinfulness, admitting to our adversary, opening up everything to him, and pleading with him to deliver us. Confessing our sins to God who already knows and understands every sin we've ever committed, just confessing them to him and allowing the blood of Jesus to cleanse us from all our sin. There is no other way on earth that anybody can be saved. There's no other way that anybody can find freedom from our, from our adversary, Satan, other than by the blood of Jesus Verse 8 says, if we say that we have no sin, think the rich young ruler, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Verse 9, if we confess our sins, 
He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from how much? From all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. What a blessing to be able to come to the Lord to be delivered from our adversary and to experience the new birth, to experience the blood of Jesus cleansing us from all our sin. And do you know what it does? It returns us to a state of innocence that we had as a young infant. And so, like a young infant looks into their parents' eyes, totally trusting, totally open. How much, uh, some of you here this morning are holding young children in your, in your arms. How many secrets do they have from you? None. Mom and dad know everything. Mom and dad know everything. They don't even have the ability to tell you everything, but mom and dad know, know that child. They know their children. So when we go to God, who knows everything, and we are willing to confess everything he already knows, and to plead with him to deliver us by the blood of Jesus, he will do it. He absolutely will do it. And he does it time and time and time again. And I assume that today, over the face of this earth, there's going to be people getting born again. Because they did exactly this. They went to the Lord and they said, I want to be delivered. I trust in you. I have, I'm, I have no, no trust in my own stuff, my position, my money. I'm laying it all down, putting all my trust in you. And to bring this message to a close this morning, this is our council message. The, the thing that we want to think about is the results. The results of being born again and, and duplicating that, that moment of innocence we had as an, in, as an infant. That is now, in a, in a way, duplicated in our lives by the blood of Jesus. We want to think about the results of that. And the results of that is that, and from 1 John here, it makes it very clear, we can look at each other in the eye. We're hiding nothing, nothing to hide. But more importantly than that, we can look at God. We can pray to God. We, have, we are innocent before him, not because of our own goodness, but because of the blood of Jesus, we're innocent before him. And so... If you're innocent before God, it means you're totally trusting in him. Your trust and your faith is all in him, not in yourself, not in your stuff. I trust in you totally. And because, of the, blood, because the blood of Jesus has removed my sins, I am innocent. I can look at God with innocence. And that means I'm hiding nothing, nothing hidden. I'm, my life is an open book before the brotherhood, before God, more importantly, 
It's, it's an interest that when you think about it, an open book, he, he knows everything, whether a book's open or not, he knows it all. But when we're, we willingly just open everything, lay it out there, he knows it all, and, and then we can look at him in innocence and have a personal relationship with him that is, the only word that describes it is awesome. And if that's where you're at this morning, I'm looking forward to, share, to, ha, to sharing in the communion service with you. Because that's, that's what God wants of us. And that's the only way any of us will get into the kingdom. It's the only way any of us are worthy to participate in the communion service. And so, ask yourself the question this morning, can I truly look God in the eye, hiding nothing, nothing hidden, and totally trusting in him? If that's where you're at, God bless you, and stay there. If that's not where you're at, be like that widow and Figure out, first of all, that you truly have an adversary, that you have a problem in your life, that's, that you cannot, that sin is controlling you. Figure that out. And then decide that you want to be delivered from it. And then look around and figure out who the only person is that can deliver you from it. And that is the Lord Jesus Christ, his blood. It's the only way that you can, that you can find deliverance. Go to him, putting all your faith and trust in him, laying everything down, everything. And when we do that, and we put 100% of our trust in him, and we plead with him to deliver us, he will deliver us every time. 100% of the time, not 99.5, 100% of the time, you will be delivered. And you will become, as a young, innocent child, worthy on the merits of the blood of Jesus, worthy to enter into the kingdom of heaven. That is Christianity. So God bless each one of you, and looking forward to sharing in a communion service with you, and just in, in double-checking yourself and your, your position with God, just ask yourself the question, am I 100% trusting in God? And can I gaze into his eyes, hiding nothing in my life? My life is an open book. There's no hidden sin. I don't esteem myself better than other people. They just all the parallels between children. I don't esteem myself better than, than others. And money has no grip on me. Yeah, we all need it. We can't live without it. But it's not holding me. My, the, any position that you have in this world, whether it be at work, whether it, no matter what it is, church, work, where are you, it's, I lay it down. It's laid down at the feet of Jesus, and I could part with it tomorrow, no problem. I would trade none of that. I will hold on to none of those things and miss the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is more important to me than all those things. Just ask yourselves those questions. Think, of, think about those things as we prepare to share in the communion service. God bless you. Thank you for your attention and your attendance this morning.
Let's stand for a prayer of dismissal, and then maybe you can have a verse of song, Lee. Lord, I thank you for your word, which is precious, and the blessing it is to look into it and, and meditate on it and think about it. And I thank you for each soul who is here this morning. Thank you for the young, innocent children who teach us so much. And you use them to explain to us as adults the way into the kingdom. I thank you for that. Help us to treasure the young among us and the innocent. And help us to keep very clear to everybody the way into the kingdom of heaven. And help us to urge people into the kingdom as they reach uh, the age of accountability before you. And, And I just thank you so much for salvation and the, the bliss that it is to be able to fully trust in you and to have this innocence before you, being able to look into your eye and, and uh, hiding nothing, our life an open book before you. Thank you for being such a great God, sending your only son to be such a great savior for mankind. And Lord, I just pray that you would truly examine, help us to examine each one, of, each one of us to examine our hearts and lives as we prepare for communion. And I also ask God, if there's anyone here this morning who your spirit is convicting, that you would continue to convict them until they and their own uh, ambition would, would go to you and find the deliverance that you truly want to give to every person who who comes to you seeking deliverance. So we leave here this morning. I ask that your grace, your mercy, your peace would be our portion. Watch over and protect us as we drive. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.